everybody, my name is Remy. Welcome to the For the Love podcast with your host, Jen Hatmaker, my mom. She writes books and speaks to crowds, but she mostly loves talking to amazing people on this podcast every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. It's Jen, your host of the For the Love podcast. I'm really glad you're here today. Welcome to the show. The series is just sizzling. It is called For the Love of Powerhouse Women. So I guess I probably don't need to explain at all why I love it. Um, Just speaking to women who are powerful in their lives, in their careers, in their hearts, souls, and minds. It's so energizing and so inspiring. We are talking to two women that I I don't just deeply admire, but I also love. (laughs) And they work in one of the oldest careers for women that has ever existed, which is, of course, maternal care. And there's no one I'd rather put in front of you to discuss this work um, more than my very dear friend, Tara Livesay, and her dearest friend, Beth Johnson, who goes by KJ. Okay, so if you've been around me at all, you know that Tara is one of my closest friends and we travel together. We make time for each other. We have this group of friends that is very, very dear and precious to one another. Um, and we've we have logged a lot of miles together. And we have logged a lot of life together. So let me tell you a little bit about them. Tara and KJ work for Heartline Ministries, which is an organization in Port-au-Prince in Haiti. And their primary umbrella aim is to empower Haitian families. And they do that through this very holistic wraparound way that focuses on maternal care, education, economic opportunity, um, and sort of outreach. And it's it's brilliant, effective work. And so I've actually gotten to watch Tara and KJ um, and their team lift up these families and literally, I mean, really just change lives. I don't know how else to say it. Um, and so if I could duplicate Heartline and put one in every single fragile community on earth, I would do it tomorrow. And we're actually going to talk a little bit about that. So stay tuned to the, for later in this episode. But uh, Brandon and I, you know, we have an organization called Legacy Collective. We are a, we're a giving community. We're a funding community. And we've actually worked with Heartline and granted them a big, a big grant to continue the amazing work that they are doing. They are the real deal. So here's why I am, one reason why I'm excited to talk to Tara and KJ today. Um, this, their work is a bit of a callback to our episode with Melinda Gates uh, the first episode of this series. Um, these are like, these are boots on the ground women, um, showing us why and how it matters to invest in women and to invest in families and whole communities, not just to show up once, but to do the hard work to keep showing up. These girls live in Haiti. This is their work. This is their whole lives are located there. Um, So their personal stories behind why what they do are utterly fascinating. You're going to love hearing from them today, how they got into midwifery, um, how they got to Haiti, some of the challenges of Haiti. Haiti is a very challenging country to live in and work in, especially maternal care. Um, And so they're going to unroll all of that for us today. They are two of the greatest women that I know. And they're strong in mind, body, and soul. And they are serving women in a vulnerable place with such dignity and such great care that they are, they're honestly two of my heroes. And so I'm so pleased to share my conversation with my beloved friend, Tara Livesay, and the outstanding and amazing KJ Johnson. So this is a really like happy day for me to have both of you on here. So Tara and KJ, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Um, everybody already knows, but like, we're, we're, we're friends. And I got to meet KJ exactly one time. And that was at Evolving Faith last year, right? Yes, it was. Yeah. And kind of just wanted to put my hands on you because you are like our honorary friend, right, Tara? (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) I feel the same way about you. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you hear about us half as much as we hear about you, like let's just, we're already on second base together. Let's just keep going. Right. Um, (laughs) So anyway, I've told um, our listeners a little bit about who you each are and, and kind of your background, but I wonder if we're, if when we start right here out of the gate, 
can can each of you um, tell everybody number one why you went to Haiti because that's a big choice that's a big step and then two um, how long did it take for each of you to be like okay this girl is my person <laughs> this is this is my kindred soul here in this country and in this work so KJ you want to start sure. Um, I had been in Haiti prior to going to midwifery school and after midwifery school, I had a practice in Texas and, um, I had gone to midwifery school kind of with the idea that I wanted to be practicing in the developing world. But after I left midwifery school in the Philippines, I was just like, oh, I, I need a break. <laughs> and, um, mm. I had gone to Haiti to visit some friends and connected with Tara there just because it was you know, a midwifery thing happening in Haiti. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time I met her. Um, and I kind of went to Haiti thinking like, Oh, maybe I'll get there and really want to be there. But I was like, Nope, I'm, mm. I'm not ready to be back in the developing world. I love my practice mm. in Texas. And, um, then she started bugging me about coming. Sure. <laughs> and, I'm familiar with her tactics. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, so then, I ended up going back to Haiti and said that I would be there for three months just to cover for her while she was in the States. And so we didn't have any crossover during that three months. I didn't really know her very well. I'd only met her once and then just her bugging me on email. Um, and halfway through my time, my three months there, she needed to finish some of her um, clinicals for midwifery. And so asked me to stay longer once she got back. And I was really kind of nervous about that because I – didn't want to be a teacher. I'm like, mm. I have to talk myself into teaching. So, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> the first birth we did together was an insane birth and I was, was nervous about it. It was. So it was a surprise twin. We didn't know that the second baby was there. Oh um, my so the first baby came out and the mom started bleeding quite a bit. And I was like, you have, you know, you've got to make her stop bleeding. And so we're trying all these things to make her stop bleeding. <laughs> I put my hands on the mom and I'm like, Oh, there's another baby in here. Um, oh everything turned gosh. out beautifully. And the, both babies are amazingly wonderful and like oh. four years old, five years old now. Um, and, but so that was a really intense situation. We worked beautifully together. And I think yeah. after that I was like, okay, well that is the hardest birth I've ever done in my entire midwifery career. And I just did it yeah. with this person that I don't really know. I think that we're going to be okay. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so I think that kind of kicked things off for, uh huh. And that was five years ago. Yeah. Five and a half. Uh-huh. Okay, Tara, how about you? We first went to Haiti because we were adopting. So we were pursuing international adoption and had been stopped at the front door of a few countries and decided to look into Haiti. And so our first trip to Haiti was solely for um, for adoption. And we ended up adopting Isaac and Hope, two, two of our kids, in 2002. And then we moved to Haiti full-time in 2006. And that's a long story that we don't need to go into today, but to today. But basically from the time that I saw Haiti until we moved there, I just constantly felt like there's something we could do. Like, I don't know what it is, but there's something we could do there. And so I just mainly had to get Troy to where he felt like that wasn't insane. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> and we had five kids when we moved there. So I mean, my that gosh. Our, I mean, that was like, nobody moves with five kids. That's dumb. No, and they were little. Yeah. And it's like economically irresponsible. You know, people who go to Haiti should be single and debt free. And so we had lots of excuses, but we ended up there. And when we first moved to Haiti, we said we were going to do 18 months, just sure. have a little experience. But mm -hmm. at the 18 month mark, you sort of know what's happening around you finally. Mm -hmm. So we just decided that it was dumb to leave if, since we were just starting to get the culture and the language. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Because you went down without any Creole, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, to the second part of your question, um, when I started asking KJ to stay, she's 17 years younger than me and now my very yeah. best friend. Right. But at the time, she had so much more experience because she had worked in the Philippines and in Texas. Right. And I, I had to have someone who was able to precept me for the end of some clinicals that got messed up. And, uh -huh. um, so I desperately needed her. And so right. I was going to like her whether whether I liked her or not. I was going to pretend to. But then it ended up that we, oh, we, we just click. And we're both Enneagram yep. twos with the same wing. So it's, yep. it's weird. A lot of times we say the same thing at the same time. 
and we don't really actually have to communicate with words during a birth anymore. That first wow. one was different. It was like only my 27th <laughs> birth or something. I mean, it's very oh early gosh. in what I had done and she, you know, as the as the primary and when she said, "Well, I mean, you've got to you've got to go and check for before we figure out there's a second baby too." She said, "You got to check yeah. and see, you know, what's happening." And I actually put my hand in and said, "It feels like bones." Well, <laughs> That's just another baby. <laughs> oh, it feels like bones. Well, yeah, I guess you were right. You nailed that diagnosis. Um, <laughs> so let's go back even a little bit further. You, you each kind of alluded to it, but you didn't give us specifics. How did each of you find your way to working in maternal care? Um, and I would love, I would just love to hear a little bit about what that has been like for you and why you chose it. Why don't you go, Tara? Okay. When we got to Haiti, we were doing a lot of administrative stuff and um, overseeing programs and just boring stuff, really. And I mean, good stuff, but I started um, to right, see... But you weren't in midwifery at all. No, no. I right. did all of my training while I was in Haiti and then took trips back to the United States for different yeah. things that I needed to do. Um, but basically... When the maternity center was started, I was working with Heartline Ministries and I was kind of acting as a clinic administrator. And I just was mm-hmm. like, you guys do the placentas. You do that stuff. Right. I'm, I'm right. going to do your paperwork. Mm-hmm. But as you sit there and watch the way the world works there and how great the need is, you just end up feeling, and especially as, a, as an Enneagram too, I was just like, well, this is dumb. I'm going to sit here and fill out charts when I could actually be helpful to everyone. So I decided in after the earthquake in 2010 I decided to start training and it took me all of 2011 12 uh and 13 to finish I finished at the end of 2013 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and how about you KJ because you you were in it sooner yes I um I had gone to Liberia West Africa when I was a teenager and when I came back from there I just was kind of like I was so shook by the state of healthcare in the developing world. And I knew that maternal healthcare was, you know, like such a huge need around the world. And I think that experience in Liberia really made me like want to do something in the developing world. I was familiar with midwifery because my mom had all of her births with midwives. Um, So I just started digging into that more. And the more I dug into it, then I found um, a school in the Philippines that was training midwives specifically for the developing world. And I was dual enrolled in a midwifery school in the States. So that allowed me to go ahead and get my license in the U.S. But I Mm. got that that developing world experience. Um, So that was like... That was really wonderful. Um, that is and- so interesting. So I guess the whole structure of it is different than what you would have learned in the in the U.S. Right. So there, yeah. you're you're learning with what less facilities, less resources. Is that what that means? Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, just less resources and like higher volume and more complications than you would typically see with your um, typical midwifery client in the okay. United States. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because, you know, we just work with a lot higher risk women in the developing sure. world. So uh, that is kind of what, you know, just pulled me towards midwifery care. Okay. Um, so it's, a, it's, it's an interesting record that you hold, Tara, because you have two more children than I do, which is really saying something. <laughs> I mean, just congratulations to essentially having a house full of a million people. <laughs> um, and so I know you very well. And there's this sort of running theme through your life of just opening up your arms really wide, um, like past the point of normal, um, past the point of reason <laughs> um, to other people. And so I wonder if you can talk about, has that, have you always been formed that way? Is that, is that how you have always operated in the world? Um, why is your heart tender like that? Uh, do you, can you point to any um, spots along your, your story where you're like, this was a moment where I, where I was deeply affected and kind of altered my trajectory um, toward this very inclusive life. Right. Um, I don't, I don't think that I necessarily would 
have ended up where I am today if it hadn't been for two unplanned pregnancies when I was young. Um, my first one was when I was actually got pregnant when I was 16, but my first daughter was born when I was 17. And lots of people have that story. That's not so unique. But uh, I married her dad and we got divorced really quick um, for all the normal reasons, too young, too immature, not able to right. handle the things that you need to handle. And I, rec I recognize some people get married really long, young and do fine like you and Brandon did, but mm -hmm. we didn't. And as soon as we weren't together, I had another boyfriend. I got pregnant again. I went through yeah. just a lot of shame and just spiraling downward. And once I was like, oh, I have two kids from two different dads and mm. I'm like, I don't know. For me, it was like, I felt like, oh, I am broken and gross. Mm. And so I really was a mess for about five years and um just not like it's not like I ever did tons of drugs or did any of that but I I did lots of partying and just ignoring ignoring the future because I felt like my future was wrecked but hmm. I got to experience because I was raised um in an evangelical Christian household um I got to experience a little bit of what it feels like to be an outsider in that culture sure, sure um, of course there were great people there. I'm not saying that there weren't people who really loved me, but there's definitely, um, a lot of just feeling like, Oh, there's that girl with the mm. kids, you know, where mm. you just felt like you didn't belong anymore. And so, yeah. um, I even remember after Paige was born, I, my mm -hmm. second daughter, I was wanting so much to get my life back on track. And the way I chose to do that was to go to, to get back in college and try to mm. go to a Christian college. And it was really hard doing interviews at Christian colleges in 1993 and four. Oh my gosh. Um, like I would sat down with three men, older men who told, informed me if I chose to go to the college, I wasn't going to be allowed to date because they couldn't tell donors that asked them why their precious Christian son was dating a single divorced mom. Wow. So like, really? that was in gosh. the interview at one of the colleges, which oh I obviously gosh. left there and sobbed in my car. Like, I'm not going to go wow. to that. Well, they hate me already. So then I just mm. was like, oh, this is not what love looks like. And mm. I think that's sort of the turning point for me. I don't, I don't have a conscious like moment, but that, that was definitely a big part of it. I got tired of it. I had to get to the point where I just started going to counseling and figured out how to care about myself and mm. not see myself as broken permanently. Um, and then meeting Troy after right. a long break from dating, meeting Troy, he's such a wonderful human uh, being. And it's literally the greatest. And he loved both of my girls unconditionally yeah. from the moment yeah. um, we met. So, you know, and then obviously within five years, Troy and I were pursuing adoption and, yeah. and your heart opens up when you start to pursue, yes. when you start to pursue things that aren't within your normal yeah. cultural, you know, day-to-day -day life. And so going to Haiti changed us a lot. Like just mm. the, we went six times during the seven month adoption. I went every yeah. month. So I was spending one week, um, per month in Haiti during mm. Isaac and Hope's adoption. Yeah. So I got to see a lot and I kind of got, that's really how the seeds were planted to end up back mm. in Haiti. How did you pick Haiti? I'm not sure I know that. Um, Colombia turned down because we didn't meet the qualifications to adopt and mm. Guatemala, I don't know if you remember, they had yeah. a bunch of scandal and closed. I do. <laughs> and and they had gotten very expensive, and mm -hmm. I think it was like $25,000 to adopt in Guatemala yeah. at the time. Um, and we had two kids and yeah. not tons of money, and so we needed to adopt from a place we could afford. Part That was mm -hmm. just practically speaking. And so mm -hmm. we started looking at countries that were less expensive, and yeah. Haiti was one of them at the time. Yeah, and close, easy to get to. Yeah. Um, one thing that you wrote on your blog, Tara, uh, and by the way, everybody listening, we'll link over to Tara's blog because she's a really beautiful writer um, and has documented years of work and observations in life over on her blog. So uh, we'll have that in the notes. But one thing that you wrote is this, God is not made manifest in our ability to fix or heal, but in our need to be healed. We are not fixers of people or countries or things. 
We are here trying to extend empathy, love, and grace to others the way it has been extended to us. I love that. I know for a fact that is the way that you operate. I have learned so much from you. You are one of my best teachers um, on this. And I'm wondering if you can talk more about that idea because I think it's something we're in desperate need of here in like kind of white savior Americaville. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, love, I love the way that you wrote that. Um, and that you're raising the flag for this. Can you, can you talk a little bit more about it? Sure. Um, I think that actually didn't, this where it says that on the side of our blog, that came to be probably, we've been in Haiti 13 years and I would say at about the six year mark, Mm. we had had our butt handed to us enough that I was like, light bulb, this is actually has nothing to do with us. It doesn't matter if we're here or not here. Mm. We're not going to, we're not going to change very much. It's just going to be individuals offering love and mercy and Mm. um, meeting them where they are and not expecting to see them suddenly prosper or suddenly have a huge change in their lives. It's not, it's not our job. And just watching the way those first five or six years you were in Haiti, just group after group after group coming in and mm. thinking that they're bringing the, the thing that no one else has ever brought. Mm. That's ridiculous That's in Haiti, especially because Haiti has the highest short-term mission rate of any country because it's so easy to get to. Yeah. So it's like, it, it basically just watching how off the path we were in our approach to Haitians and our approach to their culture and their mm. um, lives is is really what led me to that place of being like oh we actually mm. just are here to love people that's it mm. and at least like I, I don't even care like i i have a really hard time if people ask like can you we can quantify in maternal health we can totally quantify what's right. happening but like if people were to say like you know have you seen pe- people's lives change a lot can you tell us you know and they want like oh, really sure. hard and fast facts it's like yeah no i can tell you that she felt loved the day that mm. her husband beat her up and she showed up at the maternity center and needed someone to love on her mm. i couldn't call yeah. the police because they don't care i couldn't have him That's arrested right. you know there's so many things you can't do in broken systems is mm. all you can do is love the person and offer them the love that you would hope to be offered in that moment. And that's it. Totally. That is it. And if you don't know that, you just go live in Haiti and then you will know it because it is such a hard country. It is such a hard place. And all those systems are so fractured and they definitely do not favor women. We'll talk about that in a minute. But um, do you want, I would love to hear you chime in there, KJ, because you've worked in more than one developing country and um, I'm curious if your approach to your work has, has it changed over the years, like kind of toward what Tara is talking about? This quote is so profound for an Enneagram too, because if we can just get through our heads that we are not here to fix things or heal things, you know, like it's, that's not on us. It's not all about us. Uh, it's huge. And I think that, I did go into working in other cultures and in the developing world where maternal health, we can honestly say this is such a huge need. And I did go into it thinking like, I was young too. I'm going to change the world. Mm. <laughs> you know, of like, course. we don't like to think that, but yeah. after a while, because it is so hard and you are working in a broken system, it feels so discouraging. Like, I am never like, I'm never going to see this place look better. I'm probably never going to see the mortality, maternal mortality decrease in this country. Mm. And I think that if you go back to that empathy and love and grace Mm. and realize like I can only, I can only give what I've been given and I have been given so much empathy and love and grace. And, you know, then you just arrive at the place that like, this, totally. this is what can actually be done is empathy and love and grace. And mm. you can sure, you know, save the mom in front of you from mm. hemorrhage and dying. But, mm-hmm. you know, the whole, the system as a whole is really, really difficult. And if you don't focus on the empathy and love and grace, then I just feel like you really do get discouraged. Mm. Hey everybody, Jen breaking in for just a second. I am, as you know, 
a huge advocate for counseling and feel like sometimes we just need a little guidance from a trusted source who can help us look at things objectively and find a way forward. So BetterHelp Counseling, it's an online resource that offers licensed professional counselors, and they're specialized in issues like depression and stress, anxiety, relationships, family conflicts, grief, honestly, you name it so much more. Um, You can connect with a professional counselor in a safe, private, absolutely confidential online environment. Uh, You can even schedule secure video or phone sessions or chats or texts with your therapist. And so best of all, it is truly affordable, which hinders a lot of us from good counseling. And so for you guys, the listeners of the For the Love podcast, BetterHelp is giving you 10% off your first month with the discount code for the love. So if you're needing a little help getting to that good change in your life, go to betterhelp.com slash for the love. Okay. So one more time, betterhelp.com slash for the love using the code for the love. Okay. Back to our show. Let's talk about the work that both of you do at Heartline. Um, You guys say that maternal care is a human right, and I agree, and I think most people know this, but um, as as two people who work on the front lines of maternal care in a developing country, um, I'd like to hear your perspective more on this and why this matters and why this is an idea that we all need to know how to speak about with authority and with influence. Um, Can you talk more about maternal care as a human right? Sure, sure. Melinda Gates talked about this when she was on your podcast. We got a chance Mm -hmm. to listen to that recently. And just the fact that um, women really do carry societies, especially um, developing world countries. Women have the bulk of the responsibility Um, They care for the children. They do the cooking, the cleaning. And a lot Mm. of times they're scrappy and figuring out how to sell mangoes and make enough money to pay the school fees. And, um, and, and, you know, there's a problem with, with um, some countries have a really high rate of fatherlessness and just dads that don't stick around to help support the family. So maternal health is so important because when there's a high rate of maternal death um, and women die in childbirth after they've had three or four kids, it's not just leaving the new baby as an orphan, it's leaving that whole family orphaned. And um, so preventing maternal mortality is huge. And um, in the developing world, women die at a far, far, far higher rate. Like, um, so the the U.S. isn't doing so great in maternal health, but um, Haiti, in Haiti, you have a one in 80 chance of dying in childbirth or after childbirth. And it's more like one in 365 in the U.S. And mm. then in the best countries in the world the, that are doing the very best, it's one in a thousand. Okay. Um, so, you know, our vision for Haiti and for the developing world is just that every woman would have um, a birth where she's respected and she receives high quality um, mm. prenatal care. It's hard to hear this, but there's when you walk into a maternity hospital in a um, materially poor country, it's like a warehouse of beds mm. where women are lined up giving birth and the next lady's an arm's length away. And yeah. there's no privacy, there's no dignity, there's no love, and actually yeah. there's not enough caregivers. So then because the caregivers are overworked, um, they become short and abusive and curt. Mm. And so we just think every woman deserves to have a private birth in a, in a place where she's loved and cared for and she's not gonna mm. get swatted on the thigh for getting too noisy, you know? Um, And we envision that world because that's how moms and babies will flourish if they're treated with love and respect. And um, I mean, birth is really, can be really traumatic for anyone because things can happen that you cannot prepare for because you just can't know. But um, you certainly have a better chance of having less trauma in um, a private place where you can move around and you're not Mm. required to hold your ankles and stay on the six foot table, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, how, how do the women that you serve, how do they, how do they find you or how do you find them? How do you get connected with them? Um, can you talk a little bit about your front door and who the women are that you serve and how they get to you? 
Yeah. Um, it's all really like word of mouth. The first, the first class that the maternity center ever had, we just went around the neighborhood knocking on doors and saying, Hey, we're having a prenatal class at the maternity center. If you know, a pregnant person, send them. And since then it has all been word of mouth. Um, Haiti is a very relationship-based culture, and so right. we often have, like, a woman that delivered with us, and then she comes and says, my sister's pregnant. Can you take her into the program? My aunt's pregnant, mm-hmm. you know? So it is all word of mouth, and we have more women than we could possibly take care of. Right, totally. Um, and and you've, you have served really fragile women who are, some of them girls, really young girls, some of them abused, some of them raped, um, some of them like in really fragile medical care. And um, it's extraordinary what you do. And, and back to your point, Tara, uh, and you've, you know, you've told us this for years, but it's extraordinary, the effect that loving kindness and and care with dignity has on even a really fragile mom like ones that you would assume this is just never going to work do you have like a a particular woman that you have served or that has that really like impacted you that you are like this woman is fire like she is so strong (laughs) i'd love to hear one okay Oh, oh look, both, me, me, go pick ahead. me. Go we ahead. have so many. Go ahead, yep. go ahead. Okay. Um, I'm not going to use her name here. I'm okay. just going to use her first initial. But okay. in 2012, a young girl came in. She had been assaulted by a neighbor man. She was uh, 15 years old at the time. And she became pregnant as a result of the assault. Her mom is a great mom and worked really hard to help her through the trauma of that, which is very rare in Haiti. Like trauma is every day in Haiti and people aren't often able. It's just a privilege to be able to go get counseling. But her mom reported it, um, which is also hard because everyone's afraid of retaliations. There's no real justice system. The man ended up that hurt her ended up fleeing Haiti, which was great for her to feel safer. She came to the maternity center and got all her prenatal care with us. She had her baby when she was 16 in 2012. Um, She told me after she had her baby that her dream was to someday become a doctor and maybe even work at the maternity center. So this is, you know, she's really young and I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's lovely. It'll be cool if that happens, but that sounded, that sounded far off. Um, she finished high school at the top of her class. Heartline was able to help her a little bit through that. Um, we had donors that specifically gave to her schooling. She applied for medical school in the Dominican Republic. She's currently just finishing her first year of med school. And so she's, you know, she's an adult now. And she, her son is being cared for by her mom while she's across on the other side of the island. Um, but I fully expect that one day soon and about three years from now, we're going to sit and watch her graduate from med school. And sh- I do think she'll come work for the maternity center. That's, That's her plan. And, um, so this person who was abused and assaulted is going to become a obstetrician and help women in her country. Oh my gosh. I have goosebumps. <laughs> I love that story. Women are so resilient and strong. They're so capable and smart. Did you have a story, KJ? Yeah, it's very similar to that one. Actually, um, in 2013, we had a um, mom come to the maternity center, and she wasn't quite that young, but she had been date raped and just came in like so hopeless and feeling like she didn't want to carry this pregnancy, but knew she was too far along to consider an abortion. And she was like, I just got to get through this pregnancy and I want to give this baby up for adoption. And we're like, okay, that is absolutely fine. You know, like we will walk with you through this, let's, you know, get you the care that you need. And if you have this baby and want to give it up for adoption, then we will support you in that. And she went on to have her baby and had like the hardest postpartum experience. She had every complication in the book and she just fell completely in love with this baby during this really (sighs) hard postpartum experience. And I think Mm -hmm. because she had the support of the maternity center, she was able to both walk through those complications while still bonding with her baby. Um, And she ended up, just working with us. Um, she fell in love with the maternity center and Hmm. she started 
just attending birth with us. And then she decided she wanted to go to midwifery school and she did. And That's now crazy. she is back at the maternity center and she's our strongest Haitian midwife for sure. She's really? amazing and we oh adore her. And it has been so wonderful to just watch her gain confidence. And I think there's something about like when you have a, when you have a baby as a woman, mm. you feel like you can do anything. <laughs> like totally. you just brought life into the world. Yeah. And if you can do that with people alongside of you that are supporting you and loving yeah. you and saying, look what you just did. Like you just created yeah. this human and you brought it into the world and you have the ability to nourish this child and keep it alive. You feel like a superwoman, right? So <laughs> totally. <laughs> it's just been so wonderful to watch her gain confidence and just, just go for it. What's her name? Mika. Mika. How many Haitian midwives do you work with? We have six full time. Yeah, that's a lot. And even, even, so there's you guys, does that include you or six, there's We're six Haitian more. midwives plus you two. So yeah. even with eight midwives, you're at capacity, right? I mean, if you had more midwives, you could have more moms. Yeah. 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 We, 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 I mean, you have to be there 24 seven. So to spread out yeah. the hours so that people still can have their family. We're a lot yeah. of times in um, resource poor countries, people have to work six, six days a week, 12 hours. And yeah. we have um, made it our goal to have a normal working week, the way that people yeah. can have a life and go be, see their kids. And That's several good. of our midwives are moms. So we work yeah. about a 40 to 45 hour week. It's great. Hey guys, so you may know lately, if you've been listening, I am learning intently right now how to turn off all the toxic words and ideas that we hear around nutrition and diet culture, like I'm on a mission right now. Uh, so I'm really looking for ways that we can nurture our bodies to be stronger and healthier. One of the coolest tools I found to do that is called Noom. So it's just not a diet plan. I'm not doing those anymore. So Noom essentially helps you learn to develop a new relationship kind of with food. And it's really, really handy. It's just an app on your phone. So um, with Noom, you, you work with a goals specialist. So this is a real life person who helps you get from where you are today to just achieve your healthiest self. And you can talk to people in the Noom community who are going through the same things that you are. So there's just, there's zero shaming. There's never any shaming. I don't know if this is helpful for you, but it was for me. It, everything kind of starts slow and small. Start with just this many steps. It's just not even that many. And we'll just sort of up it on the daily. I feel so much better. And it's all little, it's small increments, small goals, small um, sort of advances. And none of it feels overwhelming. So Noom is giving my listeners a really special trial offer. So to sign up, you go to Noom. If, if you can't understand what I'm saying, it's N as in no, N-O-O-M as in mom, Noom.com slash for the love. Okay. So it's Noom.com slash for the love and you get a really cool um, special trial offer. Honestly, you may find out how to change your relationship with food forever. Um, so noom.com slash for the love. And I hope that you will find this as helpful and encouraging as I have. All right, you guys back to our show. Let me ask you both this question, kind of two parts. Um, uh, I would love to know, first of all, what is it that, what, what qualities do you love and celebrate, um, in Haitian women specifically? And then additionally, working in Haiti is hard. What would you say is the hardest or one of the hardest cultural trappings to overcome specifically in your work? Um, because it's, it's not an, a duplication of American culture at all. And there are rooted systems and practices and even beliefs in Haiti that you constantly bump up against. And so I'm wondering if you can kind of give both in, like, this is the greatest part. This is what we celebrate. This is the most amazing part about women in this culture. And then this is a thing that we really have to work we, we're challenged by on a daily basis. I think for me, Haitian women are so insanely strong and they are so amazing at 
just focusing on relationship, even though their life is so complicated, like everything that they do is so complicated. They have to, you know, walk a mile to get water. They have to wash their laundry by hand. They have to create a fire to cook, you know, like everything is so complicated compared to our lives in Haiti. And yet they do such a great job, um, just focusing on relationships. It's sort of like the world could be crumbling around them, which actually in 2010, the world did crumble around them. Oh, yeah, that's right. And and it's still like you're like climbing out of rubble and you get up and you're walked down the street and you see your friend and you say, how are you? How's your family? Give Mm -hmm. me give me the latest. I think, you know, in poverty cultures or cultures of material poverty, there is often um, a thing where everyone's just trying to survive so they can't really take care of each other. But that's not really true with Haitian women. They look out for each other um, and you know, they're, they're concerned about one another and one another's families Mm. and they rally around each other. And it's been super inspiring for us to watch. Mm. Mm. And what's challenging in Haiti? I mean, that's a really, (laughs) what's challenging in Haiti? Everything. I'm sorry. It's a 17 hour podcast. (laughs) Totally. I know so many of y'all stories. I mean, they're, they're just bananas. Sometimes Tara comes in and tells us just, it's just like a Tuesday and she just rattles off how the Tuesday has gone down. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like if that happened to me one time in my life, I would never stop telling about it. I would never, ever stop talking about it. So, I mean, you're, you're, your daily just life period in Haiti is hard, but also your work is. Your work um, is, you're, you, like you mentioned, you go against the grain here. The way that you provide care, the way that you think about um, women and moms and birth. And so I'm just, if you had to just put a finger on something and say, this is a thing that we have to kind of work hard to overcome, what would I, it be? I think for me, specifically in our work, um, the hardest thing is getting access to higher level care. So we don't do like mm. cesareans at the maternity center. We don't have a yeah. NICU. Um, so just getting access to that care. And that is just, it's so difficult because the medical system yeah. is so broken. Um, yeah. And that isn't necessarily specific to Haitian culture. That is a developing world thing for sure. But, you know, like we have a mom that needed to be induced a couple weeks ago and she yeah. sat outside at the hospital for three days because they I didn't remember. have a bed for her and her situation wasn't serious. So for me, like that is the thing that is the Mm. most stressful knowing, like I have this, there's this woman who just, she needs care and I cannot do anything to get her care that she needs, you know? And it's just constantly a fight. So I feel like the worst stories that Tara tells us are those, the ones when a mom needs to be transported to the hospital and then it's just like eight times out of 10, it just goes sideways. Yeah. It's so hard to get that piece like over the finish line. What would you say, Tara? I mean, obviously that also for you, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, it's that thing where it's like anyone who's had a baby, you remember how miserable you are at the end. You just, yes. you're, you hate it. It's terrible. Yeah. Everything hurts. So to bring a 42 week mom mm. that absolutely has to have a C-section, yeah. be just based, you know, breach, whatever else is going on. There's mm-hmm. lots of reasons that, that, you know, sometimes someone needs a C-section and then say, you're going to sit, she's not even sitting in a chair. She's sitting on mm. the cement on the ground for three oh nights. Gosh. No. And so she slept sitting up for three nights and, Gosh. um, we kept pushing to try to see if they were going to get a bed. But of course, from their perspective, they have women coming in that are hemorrhaging or, right. or seizing. So this woman with the breech baby that needs to be, that needs to be delivered by induction or by C-section isn't as serious as the bleeding people and the seizing mm. people. So they, they have a point. But what we ended up doing with that lady is on the, th- like, you can't sleep at night because this is a person you've come to care about. That's of course. Cool. Midwifery is relationships. So um, she ended up coming back into town and we organized for a C-section at this little tiny hospital. You wouldn't even believe mm-hmm. it had that where we were had an OR and she got a C-section um, at another place. But mm-hmm. it's it's exactly what KJ said. It's just, you want the best for these ladies and if they run into a complication that doesn't allow them to stay at the Heartland Maternity Center, then you have to fight a system that is, mm. that's not a system. Like you can't even call it a system. Right. 
Right. And then we can just talk about even just driving there because I think some of, <laughs> frankly, Tara's worst rage stories are just in the van. I mean, <laughs> the van is a source of such trauma. Well, she um, got to know me really and fast and on one of those rides. She was like, <laughs> I think we'd worked together very long. And I leaned across the passenger and rolled the window down and had a few choice words for somebody out the window screaming like a maniac. And she was like, wow. Haiti's so aggressive. And, like uh, the driving situation there is just really really off the rails and so the fact that you have to like drive around women who need to get to hospital i just can't handle it and nobody follows the rules there aren't any it's no system it's crazy um so uh, obviously there's a lot of ebb and flow in any career in any sort of um space where you're working but um, I would love to hear from both of you just two things. Currently, what what is the biggest joy that you are receiving in your work? What is it? What where is just where's the wind at your back right now? Um, and then also, I'd love to hear what your hopes are for women coming behind you in midwifery who are listening, whose ears are perking up, who are like, this is um, this is work that would really sort of make me come alive. Um, so think about the women who will be doing this work in the next 10 to 20 years and what you hope for them. It has been such a joy to see these Haitian midwives that started working with us fresh out of school, just sure. come into their own. And Tara and I don't do a lot of the births anymore. In the beginning, we were doing all of the births, all of them. but yeah. yeah, yeah. Now we have, there's this staff that is wonderful and they're so solid. And I love specifically in our setting, just being able to see these women just relate to and provide an even next level personalized care to women in their own culture. And that is just, it's so wonderful. I yeah. love it and I'm love just it. so proud of them and feel like oh my word <laughs> these women yeah. are amazing yeah. and how wonderful that women coming to the Heartland Maternity Center get midwives um, from their own culture yeah it's amazing yeah. yeah a lot of times KJ and I will be at the birth and one of us is charting and one of us is the assistant and we're working mm -hmm. with whatever Haitian midwife is on that day for that shift yeah. and KJ and I are like across the room looking at each other like yeah. having cheers like proud mothers watching their That's children right. take their first steps i mean totally. they all had tons of training and they're very capable but they are still just getting so excellent and it's so wonderful to watch mm. it's like there's no reason that it should that it should ever depend on a foreigner being there and that's right. what we want is to not have to be there i love that arc. i mean sincerely now you're it's it's mostly haitian staffed at this point and yep. so uh, it's just it's fabulous and i love the example that sets for the moms who are coming in mm -hmm. um to see that possibility i mean obviously you've got at least two that you've just told us about one that has already come back to you and one that probably will mm -hmm. um and that because you you intercept women if you can at the very beginning of their pregnancy right and that's very yeah. different from so most haitian women who are not going to come through a program like yours the, they're going to go see a doctor when they're delivering. Is that about it? Is that their maternal care? Yeah. Occasionally it will be like one prenatal per trimester in pregnancy, mm. but that I think it's about 65% of people that get like one prenatal per trimester in yep. Haiti. And that would and be in the urban areas. And 65% of people in Haiti still deliver alone at home. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Is yeah. that 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 high? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's so, oh, yeah, gosh. very a small percent of the population is able to deliver with a, a, med, a trained medical provider. Most yeah. are just pulling it off in the mountains and the hills, yep. you know, with the next door lady, next door neighbor lady hopefully has a way to cut the cord that's clean. Hmm. Um, so this is amazing work that you do and it's so full of dignity for women and I love the trickle down effect. You kind of talked about that earlier, um, Tara, but uh, healthy moms mean healthy families. I mean, it's just that simple. It's that is the cornerstone. That's the building block of being able to flourish and thrive. And so really your work has such a cumulative effect in your community. Um, even though you're mom centric, what that really means is you're family centric. I mean, the, you're keeping families together and, um, you're, you're keeping kids like with their parents and in school, it's, it's pretty outstanding. And, uh, my 
listeners for sure are going to want to uh, rally around you. They want, they're going to want to support your work. So how would you say somebody listening could best help you? Um, how could we, how could we support your work? How could we come alongside Heartline? How can, what, what, what is the way that my community could best serve you? Okay. This is a great question. And it's well, one thing that we really wanted to share today um, um, is that our maternity center is one maternity center serving a small amount of women. And we believe that the model needs to be replicated everywhere. And Melinda Gates would tell you the same thing. And anyone working in maternal health care would say what we need is many small birth centers all around um, countries that are materially poor. And so our mission is to provide compassionate, high-quality maternal health care by using the midwifery model of care to provide necessary services to the underserved women of the world. Yeah. Our secondary mission is to share our model with everyone who works right. in the developing world setting. So we have a brand new initiative called The Starting Place. And The Starting Place is a manual that KJ and I wrote. And actually, our friend Sarah Bessie yep. edited and helped us put it together and made it sound smarter than we are. Mm. And um, and we are offering classes. It's a, you can come to Haiti and sit in a class. And we're gonna we are literally handing over our entire model, including protocols, to mm. those who are working in other countries that want to see maternal health improved. And for us, that's you know if if we really do believe that birth is a human rights issue, we have to that's give right. women places to go, and we need more maternity centers. And it doesn't need to be called Heartland Maternity Center. Mm. Everyone that that wants to work abroad and that has a heart for a certain country could come learn this model and go implement it and you know and put their own twist on it because they're going to be in a different culture sure so how would people um what's the start literally what is the starting point here how if, if they're interested in hearing more about that if they'd like to know like next steps toward either learning more about your model or figuring out how to learn more about your model what do they do Okay, to learn more about our model, which is our, we're calling our model the starting place, and it's just mm -hmm. the that's what we're calling the class that's based off of the Heartline model. And so we have 12 years of experience that we want to share with you and save you tons of money and mistakes. Yes, totally. Um, and you could you can go to heartlineministries.org and look at the maternity center tab has a starting place drop down, or you could email Tara at the starting place.com or KJ at the starting place.com. Okay. And we would love if you guys that are listening have friends that are midwives or um, labor and delivery nurses that have a heart for a country somewhere or travel often to visit another place or live in another place that you know has an issue. If you would tell them about the starting place and about us and ask them to to try to find to find us because we we want really want to get the word out about spreading this model of care. It's just amazing work what you do. And I'm really, really proud of it. And this is just a little aside, only just because you just listed the um, website as Heartline Ministries. It's just a, just in case you're wondering, uh, while Heartline does fall like sort of under a ministry umbrella, I wonder if you can just very briefly talk about how that's not there's no um, come get our services if you um, will read this Christian track. You know what oh, I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, any anyone of, yeah. um, can can come for an initial interview at the maternity center. We have women who are um, living in severe poverty that they wear the entire the entire pregnancy. They wear the same clothes, and we know that they cannot eat three meals a day. All mm. the way to our services are really excellent. They're some of actually I believe they're the best in Haiti, but um, mm -hmm. some of the best in Haiti certainly. And we have women that can afford to to pay for an obstetrician in the wealthier part of town if they wish, but they choose our care because they mm. believe in our in our um, outcomes yep. and in our in our system the only qualification is that you be pregnant <laughs> right <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't make a lot of sense to come to our program that seems fair <laughs> um it seems like a fair requirement one of the best things you can do for self-care is to create just a little margin in your life, especially in your mental space. So I'm pretty thrilled to share a new tool I have been using to create just a little bit of release 
in my life. And it's all thanks to a really easy to use app called Simple Habit. I tell you, this is really a useful tool for those of us who feel like we are being pulled in a million different directions every single day. This is helping me get grounded. It is I mean, it's five minutes a day. So first of all, we all have that. And you can put it wherever you want. Um, You can put it at the beginning of your workday. You can put it at the end of your workday as you're coming home. Or it can be um, used like on an experience basis. Like I've just had a rough conversation and I need a little bit of help to kind of get recentered. And I've used it for all of that actually. So with Simple Habit, there are actually hundreds of instructors who guide you through all kinds of meditations, which you get to choose. You get to pick what you want and you can even access thousands more with a premium subscription. Their reviews are top notch. They have 65,000 five-star reviews. So obviously they're doing something right. So Simple Habit has an extra special offer just for you, for my listeners. The first 50 listeners who sign up for a premium subscription will get it for 30% off. So to sign up, go to simplehabit.com slash for the love. That's it. Um, So it's simplehabit.com slash for the love. And the first 50 of you will receive 30% off a premium subscription pretty good deal. You're going to love it. Um, Okay, back to our show. Okay, we're wrapping this up. Now, these are three questions that we're asking everybody in the Powerhouse Women series. And so this can just be um, whatever comes to mind. And we'll just go like KJ, then Tara. Okay, here's the first one. What's something a woman that you admire has taught you? that you've just not forgotten? Um, right after midwifery school, I went to Texas and had a practice there. And I had just the most wonderful honor of working with the midwife that actually delivered me. She was still practicing. Oh my gosh, that's Um, crazy. Yeah. And just getting to watch her and learn from her by being with her was Mm. so amazing. And she just taught me how when you walk into the birth room, um, you take with you into the birth room, whatever you're carrying. And so just to walk mm. into the birth room into a laboring, a space with a laboring woman with just peace and, mm. um, just, just literally carrying like the presence of God into the mm. birth room. And that was just so powerful to learn that from her by just watching her and how she does birth and, um, yeah, it was really formative for me. That's outstanding. How about you, Tara? Mine is very similar. Um, in our early years in Haiti, before I was ever in midwifery school, I got to be very close with and work with a young pediatrician, Dr. Jen Halverson. And I watched her for years and saw the way that she interacted with people. She, she's usually treating kids. So she would get down and be right at their level eye to eye Hmm. and speak, speak directly to them and softly and ignore all the chaos that is often going on around. And her bedside manner taught me so much. And whenever I'm, I'm a hothead and I lose my temper easily. And so when things are frustrating and six Mm. people are asking me for something, I can sometimes act like a jerk. And Mm. Jen is a person that I think of often because she, in the presence of a client or patients, she stays incredibly calm and is Mm. with that person only um, and ignores all the rest of the BS around her. And Mm. I'm still working on it. How about this? What is your, I don't know, maybe your greatest hope for the generation of women coming behind us who you both serve and you're also raising? Um, I think specifically for Haitian women, um, that they would just not live under the oppression of the title female, you know, (laughs) but totally the, all of the oppression that is linked to being a female. And that's true for women around the world, not just for Haitian women. It's true for us as American women. Like I, genuinely hope that there will be equality for the next generation of women. Me too. Me too. That's a good one. Sarah? Um, when I'm thinking specifically of Haiti, I would like there to be justice. <laughs> it's a mm. small little thing. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would dream of a day where when a 15-year-old is raped, she would have the power to be safe. And right yes. now that that's not the case. So um, I just dream of justice for Haiti. And that's huge. And 
and and it's probably a long ways off, but I feel Mm. like it would be wrong to give up hoping that for them and wanting that for them. Mm. I learned that from IGM, um, that injustice, like a lack of justice, just goes hand in hand with oppressive poverty. And it's interesting that when you introduce justice into a culture, how many other boats in the harbor rise. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that is uh, just a noble hope for that country. Okay, last one. This is Barbara Brown Taylor's question. Everybody gets this one. Um, What's saving your life right now? Um, For me, we just spent a week in the Smoky Mountains. A friend of ours let us use her beautiful cabin. And so we literally had no agenda and we just sat and stared at the gorgeous Smoky Mountains for a week. It was so life-giving. Oh, I saw your pictures. I mean... That is just a beautiful place and it's calm and your life is never calm. And so I just, I, I, it gives me a lot of joy to think of you guys just sitting in chairs, staring up into space. Honestly, a little bit hard to know what to do with the calm. We're like, ah, we function much better in hydrogen situations. Totally. I'm sure. (laughs) Oh, I have several things, but I just, I would say right now, um, I have two 17 year olds and Jen, you know, because we've been talking a ton about launching these kids and how scary it is and wonderful, exhilarating, terrible, everything. And right now, um, Isaac, I have two 17 year olds and Isaac especially is bringing me a lot of joy because he's figured out he wants to be a veterinarian someday and he is getting amazing opportunities and he just sends the most amazing messages. We're in the United (laughs) States right now for a few weeks. And yesterday he sent a message telling about his day and it was like, and we went to an outlet mall and a baseball game and we castrated goats and it was just such a great day. <laughs> and I, I can't get enough of it. He, that kid no. is hilarious, but his life is hilarious, and he's oh he's gosh. just a joy bringer. <laughs> Isaac Livesay is one of the greatest humans on the planet, and just being around him makes me laugh. Just in his kind of wide opened way, he looks at the world. Well, your kids grew, has have grown up in Haiti, and so when they come to the United States, they are hilarious. I remember <laughs> one time, Tara, you guys were here. This was probably a couple of years ago, and you told us that one thing. It was probably Isaac that said it. I can't remember which kid, but they were like, just in all seriousness, not trying to be funny, just like one thing that happens when you're in America is that you just drive on like straight roads and you just keep, it just keeps going. Like that was so (laughs) monumental just to drive on a straight road. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) They're very delighted by very ordinary things here. And it is the cutest. They love, uh, they love bathrooms in gas stations. Like that for road trips are great because every bathroom has a toilet that flushes. (laughs) (laughs) And minivans are luxurious. (laughs) Oh, it's just so great. I mean, everybody listening, this, these these girls on the regular, their power goes out in the middle of the night and they've, they're up with generators. I mean, this is, Haiti's just a hard place. It's a hard place to live. And so if you want to come to America and be delighted by gas station bathrooms, well, just be my guest. <laughs> okay, before we sign off, just one more time um, where people can go, even just to, to read more of your work, to see more of your work, to find out more, all of it. Where, where will you send them? Okay, so we are on Instagram, both um, KJ and I, and and we'll give you those links. Instagram is definitely the place to follow both of us for the most up-to-date things happening at the Maternity Center. The website for Heartline is heartlineministries.org. The starting place is the name of our new initiative, Sharing Our Model. Well, again, have all that, you guys. So anybody listening, just go over to jenhatmaker.com and I'll have everything listed for you. You can follow them everywhere and do all the things and do all the reading and all the catching up. So um, girls, thanks for being on the show. I I know you're like in the middle of a ton of stuff. You just have a million moving parts right now. And so um, I can't think of two women that fit a series called Powerhouse better than both of you. You are absolute warriors. You are champions for women in a country that um, fails women on the regular and you give them dignity and hope and you just bring a lot of joy to the women in your lives that you serve. And so I'm just really proud of you and I'm proud of your work, proud to be a part of it in any possible way. And so um, thanks for talking about it. Thanks for coming on. Thank I love you. you both. Thank you for having love you. Thanks for I love you too, us. Jen. And there you have it, Tara and KJ. 
out here casually changing the world. <laughs> oh, I love those girls and I love their work. And I'm very positive that some of you listening today, like your ears perked up. This is very specific work in a specific space. And for people whose hearts and skills and education lean toward midwifery and labor and delivery and women and babies, these are your people. These are your heroes. Don't, don't fail to go follow them, to to follow their work. Um, Take a couple of hours and back read some of Tara's blog. Um, She's just a really, really gifted writer on top of all these other things. Apparently she can do Um, like drive a van with pregnant girls in it in Haiti, which is no small deal. I mean, really honestly, but uh, they're, they're fantastic. Um, and supporting them in any way is just such a good use of your time, energy, and resources. So we'll have, like I mentioned, all that over at jenhatmaker.com, um, on the pod, under the podcast tab, uh, where Amanda builds out this amazing page for you. And so not only will we have all these links for you and additional resources, but we'll have the whole transcript of this interview. If you'd like to go back and read any interview ever, every single, episode we've ever done has a huge resource page over there that Amanda has worked about a billion hours on. So definitely use that. Um, Share this, share this episode, share every episode that you love with your friends, with your social media sites, with people that you know will love to hear it. You always do that. Thank you. Uh, People tell me all the time, my mom sent me this episode. My best friend made us all listen to this on a drive. Um, We downloaded this podcast, you know, on our way to Colorado or whatever. So anyway, I love that. Thank you for doing that. And also thank you for subscribing. If you haven't, go ahead and do it. This, you never, ever have to go find this podcast. It just shows up. It shows up in your phone. It's amazing. It's a good time to be alive. Um, More in this series, you guys, more women that you are going to be thrilled to hear from, to learn from, to listen to, to be inspired by. Um, The earth is not short on powerful women. And so we are bringing them to this series and I can't wait for next week's episode. Thanks for joining you guys. See you next time. That's it for today's show. Hope you enjoyed this chat. Be sure to subscribe to my mom's podcast and give it a thumbs up rating if you like it. From the whole Hatmaker family, I hope you have a great week and see you next time.